0: The reading tonight is from Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we'd stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us.
1: Good day, everybody. Nice to see you tonight. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival Church, and it's uh, my pleasure to spend a bit of time unpacking some of uh, God's Word for us tonight. Um, But before we do that, I want to tell you about uh, an interesting Christmas we had once. It started the, the usual way. It was a warm summer's day, and we all sat down to lunch on the big table, And uh, we filled our plates with ridiculous amounts of food. And then two of our uncles started talking loud enough for the whole table to hear. Did you hear about Paul and Lyndall? No, what? Well, this time next year, they're going to be missionaries in Russia. And our uncle looked at us and said, missionaries, really? You're not going to go to Russia and change their culture, are you? And all... eyes focused on us, and I thought, this isn't really the banter I've sort of come here for Christmas lunch, I was expecting something a bit lighter, and um, I just wanted to disappear. It's the sort of reaction you're going to get when you talk about missionary work in general. Indeed, it might not be just bemused interest, it might be outright hatred. So it begs the question, why are missionaries seen as so offensive? Well, because I think they're seen as the destroyer, the destroyer of other people's culture. The missionary is seen as a type of cultural imperialist um, imposing their culture on top of another one. They force their values upon a defenceless indigenous population. And we saw it here, didn't we, to an extent, with our Aboriginal population, as they were forced to dress up in Western clothing, learn English and worship Jesus. The critics would say that the missionaries were killing off that original culture, bulldozing over generations of indigenous practice. Now that's bad enough. But what's worse is that the critics imply that these actions are saying that the, one person's culture is better than the other, that one's worth standing and the other one should go. Now, I'm sure you felt it yourself. For um, how do you feel when the Mormon comes to your door? What do you think? Why don't they just go away? Because I don't really want to talk to them. I feel okay. I don't need to listen to what they've got to say. There's all sorts of negative feelings running through our head as the missionary comes to us much the same as when the missionary goes out to others. Now, our section today actually records the journeys of the very first Christian missionaries. And you can probably guess the reaction. Before we get too far, we're going to see outright hostility towards them, an outright rejection of their message. Well, considering that the Christian gospel can cause such an emotional response, Why don't we pray now that God would help us to have a good, open mind to understanding his word and respond to it correctly. Let's pray. Lord, as we heard just read, you opened Lydia's heart so that she might be able to receive your message. And so it's with that same request we pray now that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we might be able to hear your word, respond to it correctly, and walk closely with you. it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well before we get into our section today, we're looking at a big section, Um, let's remember that we've got to keep our eye on the overall flow of the story in Acts um, to understand it better. So firstly, going back to chapter 1, Jesus has already outlined the mission plan Um, and according to plan we've seen the action of the gospel moving out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria then deep to the ends of the earth into gentile territory in chapter 9 we read about the conversion of saul who will become known as paul the apostle to the gentiles and then the church actually sends him out on a missionary journey into the region of galatia um, which was uh, or is present-day turkey and i've got actually that map on on the screen for us here so that was Paul's first journey, starting from Antioch there on the, whatever side your side is, <laughs> left or is it left, your left side, your right, your right side, okay, starting at Antioch there and um, swinging around through Cyprus and then up into Galatia, um, which is present day Turkey. Anyway, so they did that little jaunt up around there and the response to his preaching was both negative and positive, um, it was so negative at one level that he was phys- Paul was physically bashed up to the point of death. And yet then on the other hand, we ex- get extreme joy as people receive the message with thankfulness. And following the, that, that, this mission here, we read about last week the, the council in Jerusalem, the big debate. Because people were saying, well, how do Gentiles enter into this church? Do they have to become Jewish? Do they have to start doing things like the Jews do? in order to be acceptable to God. And the conclusion was this, that it was only through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that they could be saved, both Jew and Gentile. And so we come to our section tonight, chapters 16 to 18, which actually covers a second missionary journey that Paul makes with his companions. And again, to help you here, I've got some maps on screen. This is the second journey So we start down the bottom here, and I've just highlighted some sections here for you. So if you click onto the next one, you'll see a little highlight down the bottom, Jerusalem. There on the bottom right-hand picture, that's where Paul has been, at the Council of Jerusalem. Then he heads up to the north, to Antioch, um, where he starts to take off on his next journey. He wants to go and visit the churches that he's planted through Galatia, through present-day Turkey. So you can see the next stage there. He runs through that section there. Then, as we read, he's going to go into Asia, but then gets a vision from a man in Macedonia to go further west. On the screen, next stage, yep, into Macedonia. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to focus on four stops through his trip to Macedonia. On the next screen, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. That's where we're going to be heading now I could have skipped past all this um all this geography and context but I didn't one reason is I like maps and so you had to like maps too but um also it might help you to understand what's going on because it helps you to understand the gospel it helps you to build confidence in the gospel because these events friends these events are not legend they're not myth Um, They're set at a particular time, in a particular place. And Luke is here writing this story, inviting you to a front row seat in the action. He wants you to walk alongside Paul into Macedonia, where the church is only just beginning to grow, getting an up-close and personal view of the birth of the Christian church. Okay? So all aboard. We're going to have a quick whistle-stop tour of Macedonia and Greece. And we start first up in Philippi. A nice picture for you here on the screen. There you go. That's that's a present-day picture. If you want, you can walk through the ruins of Philippi. Um, That's where Paul began this journey that we read about earlier. And you've got to admit that the opening setting um, to this mission is actually really quite idyllic. It's a group of people having a nice chat beside a river, and we read from verse 14 here on the screen for you. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira called Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Well, friends, you can't get a better start than that. But one thing I want you to really make sure you take notice of is look at who opened Lydia's heart. Was it Paul and his convincing preaching? No, it wasn't. It was the Lord. The Lord is the one who enables people to respond rightly to his word back then and even now. Well, after a great start, things soon become heated. And so we read on here. From verse 16, once, when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, an interesting story. We don't have time to really dig into it too deeply. But at this point in the story, um, any supernatural or spiritual behaviour shouldn't be that surprising. Because the work of Jesus before the cross... And now the ongoing work of the risen Jesus is unsettling and stirring up the spiritual realm. But friends, the outcome is always the same. The name of Jesus is able to silence and banish any spirit. And the evil exploitation of this girl is brought to an end by the preaching of the gospel. Now this sets in motion a remarkable chain of events uh, resulting in the most unexpected conversion. The owners of the slave girl, well they get pretty angry because they've lost their source of money Um, and then Paul and Silas are arrested, they're flogged, imprisoned. Overnight there's a great earthquake which breaks open the prison but they don't escape. And then we read on from verse 29 here on the screen. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized the jailer brought them out into his house and set a meal before them he was filled with joy he had come to believe in god he and his whole household it's an amazing beginning to what becomes one of the great churches of the new testament and just just think for a second just think about the makeup of this group on one hand you have a trader of fine linen, sitting right beside a jailer. One spends their day at the finest markets with the richest clientele. The other spends his day in a dungeon, making sure he's keeping the rats under control. And yet, here they are now, brother and sister in Christ. If the church in Philippi could overcome that kind of diversity, I reckon it would be the say that so we should be able, to be able to accept others that are different from us, always be looking for those that are different from us, embracing them with a great deal of love and fellowship. Well, first stop, Philippi. Now we plough on to our second stop, Thessalonica. Another lovely picture here for you. One of the ancient marketplaces of Thessalonica. And we read from the beginning of chapter 17, verse 4, here on the screen. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amph- Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Now, friends, notice the words used to describe the manner in which Paul shared the gospel. I've got them highlighted here. He reasoned from the scriptures, explaining and proving teaching about the Messiah. Now, opponents of the gospel often call faith in Jesus a blind faith, don't they? Have you ever heard that? Just a blind faith, a leap of faith. But it's nothing of the sort. Friends, Jesus doesn't want you to check your brain at the door when you walk into church. Faith in Jesus is reasonable. The people who believe here are described as being persuaded by the gospel, not brainwashed by some impressive speaker. And listen to how the people respond in the next town, Berea. You should know this well. The Bereans received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. You know, friends, it's actually ironic that those opposed to the gospel are the ones who are thoroughly unreasonable being driven by jealousy, rounding up bad characters, stirring up riots. You know, I know it's hard to listen to people that often criticize Christianity. And sometimes it's criticism that's deserved, yes, the failure of the church or the hypocrisy of Christians. But often the critique isn't reasonable. It may be driven by arrogance or an unwillingness to repent of sin. It could be just an imbalanced presentation, the building of a straw man, uh, an, an imbalanced presentation of the Bible or religion. Perhaps people just want to create their own image of God. Well, that's imaginative, yes, but it's not reasonable. It's not reasonable at all if there is one true God. Well, speaking of idols... And making up your own image of God, we come to our third stop. Guess where this place is? Athens, the Aropo- the Arap- <laughs> Mars Hill, <laughs> um, the Eric. Arapog- Arap- I'll just try to get this written down here. Um, yeah, the the, the Arap- what's the Areopagus? The Areopagus i got tongue-tied, I had no idea what I was trying to say. The Areopagus, um, there on Mars Hill in Athens. And we read here from verse um, 15, 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day and with those who happened to be there. So you start there. Paul's actually distressed, distressed to see the idolatry, distressed at seeing the honour that's not being given to the one true God. And after an initial listen, the Greek philosophers bring Paul to the Areopagus to hear some more. And so I pick it up from verse 24, where Paul says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyth- everyone life and breath and everything else. Continuing from verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he set a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now do you notice as we've been reading through Acts the way Paul approaches his preaching here? Do you notice there's no mention of the scriptures or prophecy or talk of the Messiah? Rather he goes all the way back to creation, to a common starting point. These people are not Jews with the history of the Old Testament scriptures. They're Greek philosophers. And so he starts by going right back to creation. And where many ancient religions demanded service of unpredictable gods, Paul explains that there's one true God that doesn't need to be served, doesn't need to be served by us, and especially doesn't need be made an idol of and then he cuts directly for the need for all people no matter who they are to repent in light of what in light of the resurrection of jesus it's a great example of preaching the gospel and understanding the audience you listen you're, you're speaking to and not just rolling over them with whatever message you've got but before we go on i want to think let's personalize this a little bit For if Paul walked alongside you for a day, if Paul walked alongside you for a day, what idols might he see? Things that we honour more than God, like money or possessions or career or prestige. Would he be distressed as he looked at those? And as you walk past those things each day, how distressed are you at how these things can control us and come before us and God? Well, now we come to our last stop here at Corinth. And again, we we see the same mixed response. Some reject, some accept the message. But as we've been reading through Acts, you might have noticed it's been pretty intense. Pretty intense. I mean, how much punishment can one person bear? Going from town to town, sure, getting some good responses, but sometimes getting beaten to the brink of, the, of death. How much can, can one person bear? And then we read this great promise from God as Paul finds himself in, uh, in Corinth. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Now, the great relief for Paul was that his task was simply to preach the message, and the response well, that's going to be left in God's hands, just as we read about Lydia. Yes, it would have been a great relief to know that he's not going to be physically harmed this time, but an even more profound level, God's saying, keep remembering not to take the rejection personally because it's me who they're rejecting. It's an important truth that Paul had to remember and we need to keep remembering Not to get personally offended when you might share your faith with somebody else. Remember that the response is in the Lord's hands. And if we believe that, we believe that in our heart of hearts, then it really takes the weight off our shoulders. We don't have to worry so much about the response. So when it comes back to the beginning about missionaries, well, who would be a missionary today? Who's going to carry this message of the gospel today? Well, if you consider yourself a Christian, it's you. You're the one. You're the one with the words of eternal life, with the good news of the gospel. And it's a message for all nations, all cultures, all tribes and languages. Yes, you're going to come across those that oppose you but there will be some that are going to joyfully receive the gospel, embrace the good news of the gospel, you know, and they're going to be so pleased that you've come to tell them that they're even going to honour your feet. As it says in Romans chapter 10, here on the screen, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So let those beautiful feet carry the good news of Jesus To all those who need to hear let's pray dear heavenly father we do thank and praise you for the good news of the gospel we thank you that indeed that they are the words of eternal life lord we do pray you would strengthen us in times when we face persecution help us to understand that it's not us that they're fighting but you And then we know, therefore, that it's a a hopeless battle because we know that you ultimately have the victory over all things. And so, Lord, we do pray that your name would be honoured and many people would turn to you and live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.